Hey, welcome everyone to another exciting episode of The Full Life. We're so excited to be with you. Today we'll be continuing our conversation on biblical justice. So thanks for joining us. Welcome and enjoy. All right, and welcome to another episode of The Full Life. As Hank said, we couldn't be more excited to talk about an important topic, especially in today's world, biblical justice. How does that interact with what we call social justice in this world? What's different? What's the same? How do we navigate how we truly enact biblical justice in this world as followers of Jesus? And what's our role? We'll talk about all of that today, but we always start with an encouraging word. And today's will come from our guest host, Jerome. Important subject, justice. God cares about justice. He cares about us. It's important to talk about worth and our value and who we are. So I just want to share a scripture, um, Matthew uh, 6 and 26, which says, look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And, you know, when I when I read that scripture, it's one of my favorites. It just shows that birds, they just eat. They, you know, you, you might be out at a, at a lunch or out with a friend. You, you throw a piece of bread and, and the bird have, has their meal for the day. And the bird wasn't thinking about that. They didn't know that you were coming. They had no idea where it was going to come from, but it came and they live to see another day. And that's kind of what happens with us. You know, sometimes our plans don't go how we plan them. Sometimes things don't work out in the way that we want them to work out. Sometimes we're not moving in alignment in the way that we feel that God is calling us to move. But ultimately, God is still there. He still cares. And you're still valuable to him. Just like those birds are valuable to him, we are definitely valuable to him and we're his children. So I just want to encourage us all today to just know that we are valuable. We are worthy of his love and we are worthy of justice and healing and everything that comes with that. Thank you, Jerome. Such such a it feels like such a simple topic. However, really feeling worthy of love is not an easy thing. I've I've actually done that myself recently, going, huh. I've taken it from my head to my heart and going, maybe I don't actually feel that way, even with God sometimes. And getting into today's topic, I want to talk about, you know, I love that that sort of uh, that scripture in Revelation where they talk about sort of every tribe coming together, really showing. And I think and I think as our guest will say, you know, that's one biblical example of how every sort of the facets of God is only truly shown when you see every bit of his creation, every bit of the humanity, all the different, all the different creeds and people and colors. That is truly the most, one of the most beautiful expressions of God, I think. And there, and there's no mistake that it's very biblically based that way. So without further ado, let's get into today's topic and we'll talk about some biblical justice with our guest Tina Webb received her BA in English and Music from the University of Virginia. As a licensed minister, she started walking alongside individuals in a mentoring capacity in 2004. She and her husband, Doug, homeschooled for 20 years, and for the past 25, Tina has reached beyond cultural barriers and ministered to people 
of different ethnicities, economic backgrounds, and ages. She specializes in generational and emotional restoration, trauma healing, and freedom from spiritual oppression. She's also the author of a few books, Cultivating the Souls of Parents, and we'll be talking about Culture Changers today and Justice Reframed, How the Cross Confronts Our Pursuit of Justice. Tina Webb. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I guess I want to go around and, and ask, you know, what? how do you frame biblical justice and godly justice in your, your own, how do you, in your viewpoint, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure we'll all come at it in a different way. So let me, let me start with you, Tina, and I'll kind of ask the group about what they think. Sure. Yes. Uh, what is justice? How do we define it? And, you know, instead of saying biblical justice and making mm. it kind of a thing, I want to talk about, well, how does the Bible inform us? of how God, what God does with justice and how he enacts justice. Moving in justice, moving justly is a choice. And he did mm. that for us and we can receive it or not. Um, and so, you know, I always try to start with a very, very core cross-centered biblical framework for any, any topic and then kind of go from there. Um, and then to be just towards someone else really, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but it really comes from the disposition of my heart and the perspective that I have of the other person. Tina, I love what you said. And, and just building upon that, when you think about um, mm -hmm. even the, the the death of Jesus on the cross and, and just the movement, um, there was always movement. There was always structural change. There was always some sort of acknowledgement of past wrongs and a corrective mm -hmm. action. And a lot of times when we talk about justice, there's more of an emotional conversation. There's more of a let's reconcile, let's all hold hands of different races. But overall, movement, structural change, like what God's justice was, it, it's not being replicated in the, in the same way. So I think that action, uh, actionable, uh, justice, you know, uh, that's because that's how God's justice was. It was it was actionable. It, it was something that you could see, you could measure, you can look at differences. Yeah, and no, I think um, justice is a core tenet of who God is. Um, I think there's a, a bunch of different things. We tend to be, I think it's A.W. Tozer who has this idea that what makes God God is God doesn't lack. He's not a sum of his parts. So God is 100% justice. So I think when people try to pull out and say, well, this is social justice or this is biblical justice. No, mm -hmm. God is justice. And so what does justice look like? To me, it looks like making things right. Um, not in our eyes, but in God's eyes. You know, if you look at Micah, that famous passage in Micah 6, you know, he puts his people on trial. And literally, if you read through the book of Micah, it could be today, you know, rich are getting richer. Um, leaders are not leading, whether it's in the temple back then or the church, you would say, or in government, you know, people are literally getting taken advantage of. And, and when he looks at God's people, when God looks down at his people, he's seeing how they fall short. He puts them on trial and he says, you know, he has shown you, O oh mortal, what do I require of you, right? Um, to, to, to do justice, you know, to, to literally walk and make right the way I make things right. Um, Jesus himself, when he comes down and goes to the temple and opens up that famous passage in Luke 4, like he outlines what he's here to do. 
Um, I think all of us would be wrong to go to Jesus and be like, listen, Jesus, proclaiming good news to the poor, you know, proclaiming freedom to prisoners and sight for the blind and oppressed free. That sounds like social justice, Jesus, you know? Um, and I think that's the important thing we have to hold on to. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, for me, another one's Matthew 25. We know about the sheep and the goats. We know that at the end of the time, Jesus is going to separate, right? Um, but we forget that Jesus says, like, those who we feed, those who we give water to, those who we clothe, right? Like, that's the people who are literally doing it as unto him. Mm -hmm. And for my whole life, you know, up until maybe this really Christmas uh, uh, Easter season, I had held on to that as like, oh, that's metaphorical. It's beautiful. Like, yeah, it's God calling us to do this. Until I got to the cross this year and realized that all those things that Jesus says in Matthew 25, he becomes on the cross, right? Like he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was broken. He was naked. He couldn't be crucified in Jerusalem if he wasn't a, a stranger in his own land, right? Like they didn't crucify a Roman citizen. So he's an outsider, right? Um, so this idea of biblical justice for me is, are we making things right the way God makes things right? Are we honoring and serving Jesus um, by how we honor and serve our brothers? The dignity of life is sort of my sort of encompassing principle the whole way through. I think God cares so greatly about life from the minute of conception all the way to the death. So for me, justice is about the care of that creation, the care of that life. I think that is a big part of how I view justice in, in the world. Uh, but let's talk about Culture Changers, um, Tina's book. Um, so I want to talk about, um, you kind of take this, take it a step back. Before you talk about justice and action justice, you talk about sort of a holistic view of healing and how that's an important component of justice. So explain that to us. So I had to address uh, what I call three jurisdictions, individual, family, and community because families are made of individuals and communities are groups of families. And so to focus on individual healing, and, and for me, that is shalom, that is right alignment with God's intents and purposes of uh, for your life. Uh, so it's alignment with who he is and how he is. And honestly, we spend a lifetime, don't we, <laughs> as, as believers, uh, getting aligned with the way he is and, and how he is, his manner and his words. And so I, I do talk a lot about um, the, the individual and bringing healing uh, through that and then go into the family. I have a chapter in and community. But even within the individual, I introduced this concept called triune health. And, and basically that's recognizing how God masterfully created us. We are spirit, soul, and body. And, and what does that mean? We have this eternal essence about us. Um, and then we have this soul, emotions, our mindsets. And, right. and that's usually that place of tension and struggle where we're trying to grapple with issues and topics and we're having to search the word and really dig in and understand you know my husband and i would go into the greek a lot to really what does this word really mean versus the way i'm hearing it being used and so uh, just really aligning my mindset being willing and humble to i need to throw that mindset away or um you know anything that i any idea i had when i came to faith i have to uh, put it up under the lens of scripture. And so aligning our mindset, our thoughts and our emotions with uh, 
God's intents and purposes. And then the physical body, and I go in that in terms of how we live and, and that's its own thing. So yes, healing and that that's the holistic approach uh, that I take that we need to look at ourselves, but that we can be hands and feet to help other people in that journey. When you talk about pursuing justice, there are these points of becoming weary when it seems like the same things are perpetuated through generation to generation. So can you talk about like the concept of inherited sin and epigen epigenetics, like, you know, the, the whole genera generational curses and, and what they mean in this holistic healing process? A lot of what I do these days um, in terms of ministry with people mentoring is bringing up this generational component. And um, I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, with Ancestry.com and all of this, you know, genealogy stuff, a lot of people are more open to consider how did my, uh, the story of my parents, the story of my grandparents, how does it impact me? Now, certainly on, on some level, we all have this consciousness of how history is a, has affected our present, but taking that into the science of it and the DNA of it, it's amazing uh, that inherited uh, inherited memory, inherited trauma, this is epigenetics. It's in our DNA. And just like, you know, some of you may have a gift of music or, or you're or a good writer um, and, you know, you have 20-20 vision perhaps. Well, you know what? We inherit also weaknesses. We inherit predispositions that lead to certain behaviors. We inherit their story uh, when we come into you know, this flesh and blood situation. And so uh, that that is, I think, a major reason I share this with people. Um, when I look at what's going on in culture, I see we have some generational issues, um, you know, in terms of uh, people of color, particularly the descendants of uh, slaves, um, post-traumatic slave syndrome is a thing. Um, but this can, you know, inherited trauma can be from any people group, particularly if they, if their ethnicity, their group, even their national group has incurred more than one generation of some level of trauma, you're going to mm -hmm. have, um, you're going to have this issue. And so it's one we have to know. It's, it's, it's a reason for a lot of what we see. I, I truly believe that. That was hard at first to go, well, I didn't do it, you know, because you hear that. I, I'll say, you know, you hear that. Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't have so I didn't have slaves, you know, but you know, but but there's this inheritance that is passed down that you have to acknowledge and and then deliberately uh, decide that I'm gonna change that course. And it does come through healing, it comes through a lot of awareness and being able to be healed. So in terms of healing, we'll go into the next question, which is. I think a very biblical one about not only healing the oppressed, but healing the oppressor as for everyone to be healed. So, and that's a tough one in today's world, I think, but we'll go, we'll start with Tina and we'll go around. Let's see what people, what, what insights we have for that. Yeah. That is a tough one um, because of what is required from us. I think about the Good Samaritan and that's always my go-to story. And when we just really Think about that and imagine ourselves witnessing that where you had the Samaritan who, you know, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews and he comes along and he um, goes out of his way. He inconveniences himself for spends money on someone who represents the oppressor, that group of people. 
I say, would I do that? Yeah. You know, I hope I would, but boy, what a model of a heart and a posture of perspective and compassion. And, and I think that perspective really, he had a, he had a mindset that, that transcended his offense, his hurt, um, a, a posture, you know, of, of recognizing himself. And so that's always just the story that I really, really think about and I, and I grapple with. And, and then the last point is I, I heard a, and I talk about this in the book, I heard a preacher once and he um, was, you know, it was kind of like after the sermon and he was just praying over different groups of people. And he wanted to pray over those who had been abused and kind of just kind of a corporate prayer, a uh, very gracious prayer. And then he said, now I want to pray for the abusers. And I was like, what? You know, you're an abuser in that room. You know, you're like, um, but people who are carrying that shame and that secrecy, they need healing too. And this is hard because we have a legitimate offense yes. for people who do very wicked things. But that's where we have to all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're all created in the image of God. And he wants us all. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, where this begins is with, um, I would say, the civil rights movement and my reading of history, actually, and seeing all these saints of old um, from like Fannie Lou Hamer, Septima Clark, um, but then also like the, the more famous ones, like the Martin Luther Kings. Um, there was always this idea of, you know, it's not just about our freedom that we're fighting for, but we're fighting for all of us, right? Uh, even King's idea of beloved community. So I think that's a challenge to us because, you know, we as Christians are called to more. We are not called to treat people how they want to be treated. We're not even called to treat people how we want to be treated. We're called to treat people the way Jesus treats them, which is love. Um, so it, it, it's, it's that to me is the work, right? Because one of the things that I've learned from that era of leaders and people is that like, when we hold on to not even hold on to, you know, so in one sense, we have to dehumanize to oppress. Like if I think you're fully equal than me, I can't oppress you. I can't like, if I think you're better than me, I certainly can't oppress you. Right. Um, I have to dehumanize to oppress. So part of the work that we have to do is how do we not let that dehumanization quiet our pain, quiet our struggle, ignore what we're going through, but also without dehumanizing the oppressor? You know, and I think that's why we need Jesus, to be honest, right? Like, I think any of us can fight for what's right, um, but to fight for what's right without dehumanizing the other or forgiving and not forgetting, not holding the sins against them and trying to, to love, right? Like, to me, that's why we need Christ. That's why we need the saints of old, right? But that's also why we need the, the community around us, right? Like I need people in my life who will say, no, but you need to love, especially when I don't want to love. Um, so, so for me, that's kind of where I land on it is this idea of all of us can, not maybe not all of us, but most of us can point out the wrongs of this world. You know, um, our African brother Augustine says, you know, the church should be a home in a hospital. So that's one of the postures I try to bring into some of these conversations is, yeah, there's pain, there's oppression, there's justice we need to fight for, but am I also fulfilling my calling, right, to look like Christ, to look like our Father in heaven? How am I being a home in a hospital in this, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's the work. God is who he is, and when our identity is in him, 
you know, Romans calls for us to renew our minds daily on him. And I think that a lot of what comes out is a direct reflection of identity. And I think that uh, we deal with identity a lot here. When when you have a group groups of unhealed people where there's trauma that is unaddressed and they may take on a belief system at the same time, they take on this belief system without experiencing the fullness of who they are. You know, the Bible says love one another. We are still one another as well. You know, we're somebody that needs to be loved. And a lot of times we don't know ourselves. You know, I know when I started my own personal healing process and healing journey and and facing myself where I got a real authentic relationship with God. I remember sitting outside of Chipotle um, and I realized that I didn't know um, what my favorite food was. I didn't know what my favorite color was. I didn't know any of these things. So once I started to tear everything down, I, I realized like, what, what, what did I know? What, who, who, who really yeah. was I? So as a believer in that state, what type of relationship could I really have with God? How deep is that relationship? Because it can't be that deep if I don't even know who I am. So if I don't know who I am, how can I love God in this fullness? But then once we get healed, once we are whole and we start to experience life in fullness, well, now we can see the little miracles. We can see the bigger things in God, the, the little things, the nuances, the things that happen in our life, how God connected the dots. And we can start to adapt that identity of Christ beyond a religious standpoint in our hearts and actually transform our identities with it. The other thing I was thinking of when you were talking, you know, Tina, is about the Good Samaritan and would we do it? You know, that we came to mind like the, the people on the side of the road. And a lot of the times you, I, at least I, you know, heard in circles growing up, well, you don't know what they're going to do with that money. They might, you know, they might just get yeah. drugs. They might just get drugs with that money. And I, I finally kept to peace with that. And I prayed about that with God. And I was like, you know, they might. And, you know, in some cases, it might be more obvious that that's not going to be, you know, a good use. But, but, but the point of it to me was, what is my commission? Yeah. My commission is to show the compassion. And yes, on that on that person's end, it's to be a good steward of what God's given him too. Sure. But I can't. I can't affect, you know, like I can't change him. He's going to make his choice. But my commission is to be compassionate. So if I can do it and I feel called to do it in this moment, I shouldn't necessarily be worried about what it's going to be as much as I should care that I am fulfilling my my uh, uh, outward sign of the love of Christ and, and showing that first and foremost. I guess that's where I came to it with peace on that. So I want to turn to the next question where we talk about, and it kind of goes back to that, that personal responsibility thing, because you hear on like one side of the political spectrum, it's all, and people got to have personal responsibility. And then the other side of the political spectrum, we've, you know, it's, it's kind of grouped together. It's a generalization, but it's this very big corporate care type, you know, mentality, you know, and I, I think somewhere in between in the Bible is kind of both and. I think that that's where the Bible lands on this, This, and I just wanted to get everyone's take on that. So let's see. Maybe we'll start with Hank on this one. Equal is always interesting, right? Because we live in a country where we've kind of always defined equal by what people get and what people don't get, right? So we can go back to 1776 and hear, well, all men are created equal. Now, with rose-tinted glasses, we might be able to say, well, they meant all people. But when they wrote that in 1776, you know, if you're a black, 
not equal. If you're a Native American, not equal. Mm -hmm. Woman, not equal. Poor white, probably not equal, you know? So mm -hmm. think about um, our cultural framework in this society and culture. We have to, like, I think the first part is knowing what we even mean when we say these words. Like, just because we say the same words doesn't mean we have the same meanings, right? And so I think part of the work here is not just giving people equal access or equal opportunities, but sometimes you have to do equity. You know, you have to do actual work of making sure. So, for example, uh, there's a great meme, you know, I'm a millennial, we do memes, right? Um, about people watching a baseball game, right? Um, and equality would mean, like, they all get to look at the baseball game. Well, if there's a wall in front of them and someone's only, you know, five, five and the wall is seven foot tall, like equality may not be, you know, just saying you get to look at the baseball game, right? Like there's got to be more sometimes where we give you a step stool that'll give you the same range or the same eyesight as other people. So for me, the big thing on this one biblically is as we're working for equality, you know, and I think that's why I would actually center us back on justice rather than equality. Um, because equality, at least in our cultural context, isn't necessarily based on Bible. It's based on who's in power and it's based on what privileges they want to give to the masses. Whereas we're not called to that level of equality. We're called to justice and justice is making things right and making things right. Like we've been talking about is naming the problems, right? Uh, we live in a society and culture where sometimes being called something is worse than actually doing the act, right? Like being called racist is worse than like, well, bro, that, that what's kind of racist, you know, like, like the actual act seems like to be not the bigger offense, just like the title. You know, I, I think about this and I, and I grapple with this. And um, I think for myself in terms of um, the, the equality factor, and, I, and again, I, I always come at it as far as, all right, let me look through God's eyes, first of all. And, and as we know, I think it's in Colossians where he says, you know, uh, there's neither, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentiles, you know, barbaric, uncivilized, free, Jew, whatever, um, that, you know, you all, God wants every human being, I don't care what color you are, skin color, what age, where you're from, he sees us all the same. Um, and, you know, Isaiah 58, 12, that's a major scripture behind culture changers. And just read it. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. That is our call, no matter what job, vocation, that is the heart of God. Um, but I, I think I get concerned in terms of what does the implementation look like? And I really have to vet different ideas that I hear from different people, good ideas, but I have to, before I endorse them or get behind them, I have to say, well, is this, can I find some evidence or some backing in some level of biblical precedent or principle? If, if, I'm, if I have a, a conflict with a friend and you know, I never fully apologize to that friend about what I did, but you know, I just go buy that friend a car. I just go tell that friend, you know, <laughs> man, you, you're just such a great person. You look so great today, you know, and then years pass and I just continue to bless that friend with opportunities. I gift that friend's children with opportunities. But because I've yet to fully acknowledge and fully establish what I'm, what, what I'm doing this for, then true justice is still never found for my relationship with that friend because I still never 
have apologized for what I've done wrong. And I've never really opened the door for that friend to put to me what they really needed. So what that mm-hmm. leaves me with is that now leaves me deciding what they needed. You know, so now it leaves the oppressor deciding what the oppressed needs. And I think that's a reflection of where we are now. When we look at the country wasn't even for, you know, black Americans specifically, you have a country that wasn't uh, where when when the when all of the constitutional documents were formed, we weren't considered. So to expect now full consideration without seeing what we're dealing with is like going to somebody's house who says, you know, you can't wear shoes in my house. And we say, well, now I want to keep my shoes on. I have the right to keep my shoes on. Well, that person says you can't wear shoes in the house. You can't wear shoes in the house, you know? And, and that's the, what we're dealing with. We're dealing with unfair treatment, but we, because we don't know where it's coming from, a lot of times when it's time to solve it, it becomes this emotional battle. And then true justice still gets put to the wayside. Where it can get even difficult is, you know, whether we're talking about systemic injustice or, you know, those mechanisms in society that are unfair. Okay. There are systems that are just broken and again, broken. They're out of alignment with God's kingdom ways. Uh, and when I say his kingdom ways, they're out of alignment with a, uh, a, a trajectory uh, that would be constructive for everyone. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have a brokenness that um, some people are not able to move forward. Okay. So, you know, we're, if we're talking about the systemic issues, that's one thing. But then when we get to the relational, you know, just one-on-one interactions, I find that a little bit more t- tricky um, with the, you know, the historical oppression, the corporate oppression. Um, I mean, that's clear. It's in history. It's in the books. We can read about it. All right. Um, but I think one of the things that I try not to do is ge- really generalize groups. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. one for categories too much, even though I have to talk that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with a friend the other day and, you know, in terms of say all of the, um, wider skinned Americans, um, who are here, um, how many, what percentage of their forefathers actually came in after 1900? meaning that their forefathers actually weren't here during slavery times. Correct. And then we have a population, not every white person owned a slave. And so I'm I'm very hesitant in a one-on-one encounter when I'm looking at a right friend, I'm I'm trying to see them uh, in a way that's honorable and not, doesn't have any subconscious labeling there from those people. I might not be able to expect it from expect it from this white friend because they're like my people came over in 1930, you know, mm-hmm. I'm from Ireland. But this friend, who yeah, my I have my great great grandfather owned slaves and we know it. It's a different situation, and we don't we don't uh, divvy out things well. I think, mm-hmm. um, which does a disservice really to us all. Well, and I would say real quickly too, I think the other thing for us is that not only is this complex, but we're terrible at teaching history in this country. Um, And so part of that is that, you know, obviously who writes the history are the people who won, right? And the people who are in power. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet, and still like, so for example, there are people who will debate you 
that you know the core foundation of America's prosperity was enslavement, or that the core reason that we went to civil war was slavery. There's people who will argue that with you. And yet, if you go to any of the original documents of why they seceded from the Union, it's pretty clear, you know, um, rather clear, like this is what they were fighting over, right? Um, so I think that's another part of this is that like, we don't teach history well. Um, we're not willing to look at the hard, ugly parts of history. Um, and then, you know, the, the lack of justice we face in this country due to white supremacy and racism is that it changes over time. You know, so that's why it's so hard to like, it's not one game, you know, like slavery. Yeah, you're right. Slavery, quote unquote, ended in 1865. But even if that's your starting point, you know, there's Reconstruction, there's the rise of the KKK, there's Jim Crow South, you know, there is the transition to literally um, mass incarceration. Um, there is in the 20th century alone, if you want to look at it economically. So maybe someone came over in 1930, but if we have an 80, 90 year window where 96% of all the home mortgages went to white people, right? Like you may have came over in 1930, but you bought a house in 1950 worth 50,000. That house in 2021 might not be worth 300,000. You've done nothing, you know, as a person who's an inherit. Um, who comes from someone born or who came over in 1930, but you've earned 250000 of equity that three of the four of us on this stage weren't even eligible to get, you know? So I think that's the other part. We don't do a good job of teaching history. We don't like looking at the ugly parts. And then the last one is that like this change of time over strategies is what makes it hard to keep it, keep keep our hands on it. Like I wish slavery was the only form of uh, injustice we had to deal with. That would be wonderful, actually. <laughs> Hopefully by now we would have been able to figure out a way to disentangle some of these things, right? But because it keeps changing every year, every five years, every 10 years, every 25 years, that's why I think we're still here too. But I agree with you, Hank, that some of the history has been uh, been lost. I mean, I did I know about uh, Tulsa, you know, until the last couple of years? I went to school here. I grew up, I didn't know anything about that. You know, it was never taught. You know, I barely knew about Juneteenth. You know, like, you know, it was very, it was, so I, I agree that we should do a better job on incorporating some of this history. And we have to look at the good and the bad, because if you only look at the good, then you don't, it's like healing. If you only look at the good, then you don't get an honest picture of how to make, move forward in an honest way. I mean, that's the same principle on the, on an individual and a corporate scale. It's like, you have to look at it all to really treat it. Um, so I, I wanted to, to um, play devil's advocate a little bit though because you know jesus jesus came in, in a time where the jewish people were oppressed and there was no you know he did he could have he was god you know he could have said we're going to free all these people in oppression and i think that's something we hear a lot and that goes to the spiritual side of things well you know he wanted to hear the whole person absolutely jesus wants to hear you you know he wants to nourish you both body in the triune health that tina you know talks about so why didn't he didn't why didn't he free them physically from from oppression there and 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 what do we make of all that? Well, for one, I think that we're all interconnected with one another, and there and God loves us and knows us that He allows His children to go through certain things at certain times, and and allows us the opportunity to rise uh, out of certain certain things and to rise into certain things because along the way we we learned the whole point of why we were here. And I think that a lot of times when you hear people all the time who 
they they get this striking chronic illness and bef- and and after that they start to do things that they never would have done they start to reach out to loved ones mm-hmm. in a way that they never would have um and you you see things happen where you know something happens traumatic to someone and they start an organization that and then in turn helps a whole bunch of people based on that person's experience and uh, what we go through is is related to one another and i think it's up to us to take responsibility and intentionality and using what we go through in our experiences to move god's kingdom forward despite what our circumstances are because we can't determine what another person's circumstance whether or not it's uh, of equal greater or lesser value the than than our experiences but we can use our experiences to help someone and love them regardless of whether we think their experiences are equal to, to ours or not a right heart will lead to right actions um right being rightness right standing obviously through redemption that's the only way our hearts have a chance to be right and then of course even on the other side of the cross we we can still struggle and so what that how that informs me is that while we all need to have a heart of love unconditional love love your neighbor as you love yourself and love your enemies um we all the way we uh, tangibly proactively practically walk out um, will be according to our individual purposes, you know, and that's where we, we need to make sure we're not comparing too much. So for example, um, the way God has me, um, is writing and, and causing people to think about ideas and, and things like that, uh, versus someone else, they may be actually knocking on doors, you know, they're, they're called to a different sphere. And, um, you know, so we shouldn't say, well, she's actually not doing anything except sitting behind a desk. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm doing the work. No, we're all called to do what God called us to do with the same heart and the same mission, but it's going to look different. Yeah. The only builder new one I would add to all this is that Jesus did what he's supposed to do. Um, and what he left behind was the church and the spirit. You know, I think that actually what God has done, like Jesus literally left heaven, you know, the full gospel. So usually when we teach the gospel, we say Jesus died on the cross. That's not how the first church understood the gospel. To them, it was he left heaven. He showed us how to live to please God. He died on the cross. Um, he was resurrected and he went to heaven and he's preparing heaven for us. Like that's the gospel. That was Jesus's um, whole plan. That's why he came. Right. Um, but all of this modeling is because he has left behind the church, which he calls his body. Um, and the Holy Spirit. So that is now our work. So when we talk about justice, we talk about, hey, there's brokenness in the world, there's darkness in the world, there's people who don't know justice or what God's love feels like. That's actually our job. And to piggyback on Jerome's point as well, is like, this is why we need each other. You know, God has made Jerome passionate about things and Tina and Joseph and Hank. Um, and it's it's using um, our connection together, but also there's a great quote by Frederick Beekner, which I always butcher, your deep gladness and the world's deep sadness meet. So the idea that like those things that break your heart is God calling you to work in that sphere. And together, there's a billion of us in the world right now. There's history of us and and saints that we stand on and saints to come, you know? There's plenty of work to do, but God seems to be really humble. And also like God really thinks that like with us in the spirit, we can get this job done. 
without feeling totally overwhelmed by the enormity of systemic systems that don't make sense or done not fair for people? How do they work in their own spheres and, and enact some change? And then sort of do, dual to that is, you know, what? how do you stay in the hope of Christ when it feels like, again, generation after generation, this, you don't see a lot of change? Be self-aware. This is, do I have a bias? Have I admitted it to myself? Am I working on it? Um, what do I think of my coworker? Uh, what do I think about my neighbor? Um, am I going out of my way to engage with them? And if not, why? Do I have any fears? Does this need to be resolved? Are there things influencing my mindset about others, whether it's from my, the, whether the influencers are my family of origin, uh, what I watch, what I listen to, the books I read, what has informed me and shaped me, and I need to put it under the light of scripture and let God purify the way I think about people, engage, put our phones away. I mean, a practical thing. Some little things like that, finding value and dignity in everyone, no matter what they look like, where they're from, what clothes they're, if they're sagging, whatever. <laughs> engage. Engage. Yeah. So I think Tina hit it um, at the park again, right? I think self-awareness. Um, so David at the end of Psalm 139, which is this beautiful Psalm about how God perfectly knows us. God's always there. We can't run away from God. God is amazing. He made us fearfully and wonderfully. And then somewhere towards the end, he gets really like, oh God, I wish you would destroy your enemies. Or can I help? You know, can I help you destroy them? Um, <laughs> and then he ends though with, um, I think probably the best part of the Psalm where he says, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. So I think for all of us doing this work, um, that's kind of where we have to know. Not only acknowledge our blind spots, but acknowledge our blind spots are not pleasing to God or that our blind spots might be pushing us away from God and our sisters and brothers. So I think that self-work is something we need to consistently do. Um, the other thing is there's an African proverb, which I think it's brilliant because, you know, all wisdom really comes from Africa, right? Um, if you don't believe me, you can pay, you can buy me food and I'll convince you anyway. Um, but there's this proverb that says, you know, if you want to eat and how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is a bite at a time. So it's easy to be overwhelmed. It's easy to know these things are bigger than the individual. Um, but it's also a reminder to us that it's, we need God. They're so big. We can't do it on our own. We need God. It's so big. We can't do it on our own. We need each other. And then that one bite at a time says that, you know, where's God calling me to be faithful? Where do I need to grow in awareness? Where do I need to grow in listening? Where do I need to grow in serving? Where do I need to grow in um, lending my voice? You know, so I think self-awareness is huge. Um, eating the elephant one bite at a time is huge. I think prayer is huge, right? Praying for perseverance, because this is a long, long road. Um, nothing's going to get solved in 24 days. You know, I said Rome wasn't built in a day. We've been trying this racial justice um, in America, or just justice in overall since, since we got here, right? Um, so it wasn't built in a day. Nevertheless, we have a God who's on our side. We have the church and saints all around us, um, and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So praying for perseverance, I think, is another key component. And I'm going to add to my part is that I think you need to embrace and push into being uncomfortable for the sake of the work, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission. You need to be uncomfortable. 
um, from my perspective. And that doesn't mean fear, because there is a discernment of what we know. We're absolutely not a fear. Jesus is very clear about that. But he did not say that you're not uncomfortable. You know, he very, very clearly demonstrated that a lot of the time you are uncomfortable and you're supposed to put yourself in uncomfortable situations for the sake of the mission of saving souls and changing hearts. Um, so I would say that that as you're not as much as you're not going to like it, that's the that's the work. Even in your small circle of people, you know, practice doing something that feels uncomfortable as a gesture to someone else, because then you can then it'll get easier, and you start growing on that, and growing on that, and growing on that. Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer. Turn on the news; everything's a justice issue, and and I would say pray this through the scriptures. So. You know, I've been particularly praying um, through Psalm 140 through 150, praying scripture. And it's a lot of that conversation about Lord punish the wicked. Um, and, you know, I actually looked up the Greek word uh, of wicked and it's those who are at fault, um, those who have not done right. And so, Lord, give them their due consequences. Sure, yes. Um, reach them and save their soul, but there needs to be just consequences. Mm -hmm. When I pray for systems, um, I actually, the way I pray for systems, I think about George Washington Carver, who actually transformed a system of agriculture. And he did it from a place of prayer. God gave him a downloads and innovation and ingenuity that ended up changing. So I actually pray. I say, Lord, raise up those who will receive wisdom, how to fix what is broken raise up those who you've gifted with ingenuity to deal with the education system to deal with uh, you know banking and 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 just different social me mechanisms in our society um and empower them because it is so complex but you know god can bring forth joseph um and and other people and give them those skills and so there are different ways to pray. I mean, this is a, you know, we can have another whole hour talking about prayer, but those are just some some suggestions. Well, as we leave you, I want to leave you with the definition that Tina gives us as a culture of a culture changer. I'm going to read it. It's empowering people to acknowledge their emotional and physical needs. And I want to use that to say that her whole book is about making sure that any justice you are doing on behalf of God and his and his law is making sure that we're being constructive the minute it turns destructive in our in our work even if our cause is righteous but our, our methods are destructive then we might have ventured away from from the cause of Jesus from God's word so I leave you with that today to say make sure that we are being constructive and I pray that we are every episode on this show We'll see you next time for more on The Full Life.